Hey, it's Carl and Richard here to tell you that all of the NDC conferences this year are going online. You can still attend the workshops and sessions, but from the comfort of your own home. Here's what's coming up. NDC Minnesota will be September 8th through the 11th. Go to ndcminnesota.com to register. NDC Sydney is October 12 to 16. Early bird discount for NDC Sydney ends July 12th. So go to ndcsydney.com to register. Check out the full lineup of conferences at ndcconferences.com. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And it's show 1700, which wow. we are actually recording with a group of people who have yet to come on, and we're streaming it live to our Patreons, our patrons, Patreon supporters, and uh, everyone else can go watch it on YouTube after the fact with all the swear words in and nothing bleeped out and all that fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, because we keep the podcast pretty tidy for various reasons, but uh, we do the uh, the the video. We can uh, we can do what we want, more exactly. or less. How are you, man? I'm great. I've been uh, doing the pandemic series on Run As Radio, and okay. uh, so you know, two shows a week for Run As, uh, the regular one yep. and the pandemic one, and just great conversations. So I shot a bunch of shows before this, so I'm uh, I'm in the groove. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling it, but I have I have the important things. I have a bottle oh. of whiskey. I have a bottle of Dalmore 12. Ooh, the Dalmore. I've got the Abunda. I've got, I went for the cast strength for 17. You know, I remember being in Scotland with my friend Richard Campbell at mm-hmm. this little, and I won't say it was little because it was kind of a big hotel, but it was this cozy yeah. room in Cragalachie, which is right on the, the river. Cragalachie, yes. Yeah, yeah. And they had a beautiful den-like environment, right? With yeah, It was exactly what like, you were looking for in a Scottish bar, right? right? Yeah. Like wood on the walls fireplace. and the ceiling. The fireplace, the big overstuffed chairs, the two spaniels of the, of the owners the run around spaniels, getting scratches. exactly. Yeah. And yeah. every and whiskey you've ever heard of. <laughs> Dalmore 12 was five pounds. Yeah. Was I remember steal. that. Cheers, brother. Steal. So... Cheers to you. Congratulations on 1,700 shows. Can't believe it. Yeah, here we are. Well, I guess we should just get started then with a little thing I call Better No Framework. Hit me. All right. Now, uh, let me pull this up here, and then I'll get you mm. in so that you oh, can comment crazy. on it as well. And now, now people can hear us and see this at the same time. So, what I have today is Jammer.net, J-A-M-M-R.net. And remember I was telling you I wanted a, a way – there isn't much interesting here, oh. so I'll switch back. Yeah, yeah. But I know, I know where this is going. Yeah, you remember I was telling you that I wanted a way to figure out how a way that people could play together online and hear yeah. each other with no latency and little latency, right. right? So, I don't know if this is it, but people have told me, people whom I trust have mm-hmm. told me that this is as close as it gets to real-time jamming on the internet. So, it's not that Apple has some software, it's somebody else. Yeah, and it's free. Carl, Carl, it's free software. Carl, but Carl, I know Tim's going to give me some crap about that. So I plan to use it because my bass player is afraid to come to rehearsal. He's got you know an immune, he's immunocompromised, and he's got kids and a wife, and he doesn't want to take any chances. So we need a way to sort of you know play with him you don't get to overcome the speed of light so we see just latent to it but then insert it at the right time i have no idea how it works actually and when i pressed my friend who was telling me this is great and it works and everybody can just hear each other it's fine i'm asking like how do they get around the physical limitations of you can't just do one two three go and everybody hears everybody it's just impossible no that's not how the that's not how the universe works yeah so we'll see all right that's cool. That's what I got, man. Who's talking to All us right. today? 
grabbed a comment off a show 1100. So jump back 600 shows or so. February of 2015, where we made a show we called Making a Thousand Podcasts with Carl and Richard because we're bad at math. Right. <laughs> we did a thousand podcasts on show 1100. But actually, it was because I came on board as co-host on show 100. So, it was a thousand That's podcasts right. together. Right. More or less. There was a few bits and pieces there. And if you want to get technical, in that window, we also made 140 tablet shows and da-da-da-da-da-da. But it, don't get right. complicated. It was show 1100. And mostly we talked about making podcasts, right? You know, today yep. our process, well, up until the pandemic, our process was mm. pretty stable. Since it the was. pandemic, <laughs> well, look at what we're doing right now, right? You've learned right. all this stuff. Heck, I've got a right. green screen now. Like, I've built out a studio like everybody else has. And so, right. you know, but in January when we were recording shows, they were not that different than the way we recorded them in 2015. When we right. talked about it on show 1100. But now, things are very different. And the sh comment mm. I grabbed, because there's a whole bunch, lots of them just saying thanks for making a lot of podcasts, which clearly we've done. But Mer Bert McKay, and this is five years ago, said, love the show. Nice to hear about the hurdles you've encountered with auto quality and inputs over the years. I've been thinking about setting up a podcast of some sort for a while, but trying to find a topic that's unique, and that's a challenge unto itself. As a mm. bit of a hobbyist and, and a generalist, I found myself with lots of old components and laptops sitting around. I've been running some live video streaming for the local roller derby league. Does Karen make wow. about this? I know. I was going to say, that's Karen's thing. Yeah. The setup has been hacked together over the years and is continuously improving and is surprising what you can achieve with a laptop, a budget webcam, and some open source software. OBS looking at you. And I, what struck me <laughs> with this is that I look around my office at the way we've been recording with like multiple old machines running their own Skype clients and then doing a mix minus into a board and things. It's like nobody sets out to build this. You just end up adding this and adding that. It's like, oh, I'm not using the Telos anymore. I'll go this way. Like it, it keeps changing, right? Yeah. Uh, now he's talking about recording roller derby. So he says, I'm trying to integrate so many features like a scoreboard, commentators, and replay video into one stream. It's been an interesting challenge, but I'm getting there. Huh. Thanks for all the great yeah. shows and for filling my bookmarks with new technology and development things to play with. Excellent. Yeah. Well, Bert, awesome, five volt years on. We love your we love your message, and uh, a copy of Music to Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, write a comment on the website at donetrocks.com or on the social medias because we publish every show to Facebook. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin, and he is at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> latency doesn't matter with Twitter. Yeah. So. It really doesn't. We can all tweet simultaneously and everybody's good. And now I would like to bring on the guests. This was your idea, Carl. The guests. Yeah, it was my idea to do it. Well, the live stream, we sort of thought together we, sh we should do this. Yes. But to Probably pick the to top streamed. six people in terms of how many times they've been on the show. Right. That seemed like a good idea. And then the question was like, who is that? Because we didn't actually know. And it's like, right. if, only, if only I could write a database query that could answer this question. <laughs> <laughs> if only we had some technology. <laughs> if only there was some technology. There must be a way. If only I knew how. What's an aggregate query? So, anyway, let me just rattle off the guests. Michelle Bustamante is here. Rocky Latka is here. Billy Hollis is here. Kathleen Dollard is here. Senor Huckabee is here. And Mr. Hack is here. Uh, welcome, all you guys and gals. It's great to have you here. And MLB in the front running with 23 shows. They flew by. Wow. 23. How's that possible? <laughs> How old am I? How old am I anyway? What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, how old are you? <laughs> We've been doing this show for 18 f***ing years. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that Good means you Lord. do more than once a year on average there, Michelle. Yeah, that is pretty awesome. Thank you. Mm, it's something. It is awesome. Oh, well. So before the show, we, you know, Rocky called in early and, and Billy and Phil to sort of test their microphones. And we were talking about, you know, the most memorable moment. And that got us to thinking about memorable moments in our careers. 
And one of my most, uh, you know, memorable moments was the day I learned to write the where clause first. Because <laughs> <laughs> Cartesian products suck. Yes. <laughs> right? If you write the where clause first, before you write the delete from clause part of it, <laughs> and you just, ha- you know, then if you accidentally delete something... It's not going to be a problem. So, uh, that brings me to the question that I asked you all to think about. You've been on the show a number of times, obviously. Um, what was your most memorable moment from .NET Rocks? 18 years of .NET Rocks. Michelle, we'll start with you. I still remember maybe one of our first shows when we were, I was in my former house in my little office off our room and it was evening recording pretty sure and you said well everybody it's ladies night tonight and (laughs) do you remember my response to you no (laughs) because i think you peed your pants laughing but (laughs) (laughs) sounds like me but i said so what did you bring me a rose you know and (laughs) and that that one moment even though it may not be the most memorable technical discussion your reaction to that was enough to make my day that's like no holds barred and the best titled show anywhere was michelle bustamante gets hard on wcf (laughs) (laughs) oh it was hard on indigo Hard on Indigo, show 176. That's it, Indigo. Yeah. Oh, my God. How Hard do you yeah. remember this? Oh, I guess yeah. you look it up. Yeah, yeah. I have I have a computer. My husband approved that title. <laughs> <laughs> he might have laughed. He might have laughed, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he um, might have commented was- something back that I can't share, you know. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right, Rocky, what, what do you got for a memory? Well, I got nothing as good as, as that. I, I'm kind of, <laughs> but I was, uh, and I don't know, it had to be maybe the second or third show that I was on. And, um, I was in Boston for some work because Magenic has an office there. Mm. And you're like, Hey, come on down. We can do a recording. And, and, uh, so I, as I recall it anyway, I drove down. Anyway, we were at your, uh, studio mm-hmm. and, uh, this was, you know, what, 15 years ago, I suppose, or something. Before but, the renovation, uh, yeah. Somewhere I had never been. So I, I got to, like, you know, visit the the holy shrine of, of Carl. <laughs> and, uh, you, know, you know, all your musical equipment, and you were building out a sound booth at the time or a soundproof right. uh, couple rooms. And, yep. um, yeah, so I guess, you know, not, nothing funny. But for me, that was uh, a great deal of fun to see where the magic happens. Recording in person, too, which is very yeah. powerful. Oh, it is. It is. Yeah, it was fun. Rocky, do you remember when we met each other walking across the Charles River in Boston? Yes. Yep. You were with yep. your we, family. I, yeah. And so was yeah, I. Yeah, we were there uh, at, at the time, uh, essentially on, on holiday and just walking around looking at museums. And my kids were both quite small at the time. Yeah, uh, so were mine. Maybe seven and three or I don't know. I think we were taking uh, my first daughter to the Children's Museum, which was just on the other side of the bridge. Mm. Yeah, and we ended up there too, but not at the same time. But it was such a weird coincidence to be walking through a big city like Boston right. and then just go, hey, look at you know, on yeah. the street, random. Yeah. Oh, so you literally didn't know each other and you met on the street? <laughs> no, we knew each other. That's why it was. <laughs> we knew each other. Because that would have been a good one. <laughs> Hey, hey, I've seen you somewhere before. Wait, I've seen aren't you somewhere we, before. You? As Paul Simon says, hey, aren't we walking down the same street on the very same day? Anyway, um, uh, yeah. so I, I also have a Boston memory, which is once I remember Chris Kinsman called me or, or emailed me and said, hey, I'm going to be in Boston. Do you want to go out to lunch? And I said, uh, well, Boston's like two hours away. And he goes, oh, really? Because I look on the map and it looks like you're just like around the corner. <laughs> so it's that Mercator problem there. The, yeah. Yeah. All the Further New England states get squished together. Yeah. All right. That 
brings us to Billy Hollis. I, I know what it is, and Billy knows what it is. You, you do, do don't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my most memorable moment was on stage in San Diego during the, the road show in 2010. And Tim, I think you oh, were in man. the audience, actually, at that time. That was show number 545. So, And if someone wants to hear the whole moment, it's at the very beginning of show 600. Uh, where you sort of brought back, brought together shows from a, from a series of 100. I was talking about some patterns and practices guys who were doing sessions on pair programming and unit testing and related stuff. And they, let's see if I can remember all of their recommendations. They recommended writing three lines of testing code for every line of production code. And of course they were doing pair programming and right. they recommended having Two human testers for every developer. Does that sound about right? Yeah, well, I think yeah. that was the that's main what issue. I remember. I, I still think that's the best practice, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, yeah. So I was doing what I often do, which is push back on stuff that kind of sounds good to developers, but doesn't really fly in the real world. Uh, but the way so, you made um, your point was pretty eloquent. Yeah. Yes. Well, let's see if I can remember now. So my summary comment was what, I think, Carl, you almost fell out of your chair laughing at see. Oh, yeah. Like, if you have to have someone looking over your shoulder with every line of code you write, and you have to write three lines of testing code for every line of production code, and, and you need four testers, two each for you and your pair, to test everything you do, <laughs> you must suck as a coder. And, and when I finished that line, Carl was just, was just falling out of his chair. I, I believe your remark at that point was go back to school. <laughs> <laughs> the, you know, the thing is, is that there's so much truth in there that, you know, we overthink things and, and, you know, certain technologies and practices work better with certain types of developers. Like, I think it, I don't remember who told me this, but and it sort of rang true that all of that test driven development and, and, uh, Patterns practices that you just mentioned there, Billy, is really good for sort of junior programmers, you know, for people who aren't or yeah. people yeah. who aren't up to speed on the system yet, you know, who are going to make more mistakes. But, you know, a guy like Billy or, you know, any of you who are just writing an app, you know, you probably don't need that kind of protection. Well, I, so I have a comment about that. I think it mm -hmm. depends on the size of the organization and what you're delivering to the cloud as well, right? Michelle so, says size matters. I, I do. <laughs> Just put it right there. Michelle that's is hard on not, size. <laughs> that's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's never going to go away, right? It's, yeah. it's out there she now. It and she's like, going to laugh. You know. 15 years. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, size matters. So, the size of the project right. matters. And yeah. I yeah. think that what I've learned over time with larger microservices deliveries is that, you know, having unit... So, TDD is hard. Thinking test-driven up front is a discipline. I think that's a cultural thing. You decide if that's what you're up for. But in general, unit testing everything you do as part of delivering something to done as you do your stories is a good practice. And then on top of that... Mm. You know, there's other functional tests and such that should get into uh, the pipeline. So that's how you know your pipelines are good. That's how you know you can go all the way to prod, CI, CD. And it's the only way to possibly know is to have coverage. So now we have numbers like 85% coverage that are hard to achieve. But if you have that, then you have some knowledge as an organization that what your team is doing with all these hundreds of people that work for you is doing the right thing and that it's auditable because otherwise you look like, you know, if you don't check those things and stuff falls through the cracks, then have you done everything you could for your customer protecting their data and, you know, making sure things work as they should, right? Um, so I kind of feel like, you know, when you're just a couple of devs, you're going to test your own stuff. That can be manual. That can be automated. It can be whatever it is. You're right. But at some point, there's numbers that that have to roll up, right? Yeah. Um, to to somewhere that's accountable, somewhere that's a metric. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, large projects. I mean, you, as soon as you're dealing with 
triple digit developers on something. Right. Like right. The, the possibility of nothing getting done of unintegratable code is so high. The fact that we would slow down the rate of code, but increase the rate of correctness. It's, it's hugely powerful, right? You, you know, we're in a different place then. We're throwing a lot of meat at the problem, so to speak. But you're slowing right. things down too, right? Because now when yeah. you say, I'm done with that story, I finished part. my code. Now, oh, am I really done? Can I really close the story? Did the unit test pass? Did I cover happy, unhappy pass? How many tests did I create? Yeah. Is the coverage there? It's a lot of mm. stuff. So now you're like, damn it, mm. I just wanted to be done. Like, I finished my stuff, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. But there's also the, you know, integration part of it where like recently, wasn't it uh, Boeing, I think, had the rocket that went up and then couldn't do anything oh. once it got into space because they had never tested the launch part with the uh, uh, payload part. Yeah. They never, you know, they, both parts passed all their unit tests, but nobody had ever bothered to try and make them work together. And then when they actually went back and looked, because now it was stranded and wasn't going to make it to the space station, they realized they had a critical integration error that would have resulted in loss of vehicle on reentry and were able to fix it so that they got it back. But the, uh. Which in itself is kind of incredible that they could do that. Yeah. That they fixed, a, they fixed something in orbit. Like if there's a place where you don't want to forget your integration test, it's when it's out in fucking space. Yeah. When, and supposed to be carrying. I'm, I'm just people. saying, four four testers per developer probably is the right number. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there's okay. a whole geek out there about how badly Boeing botched that because NASA put out a report today, the day we were reporting it, reported re identifying 80 critical issues in the implementation. Like it's imagine getting 80 P1s you didn't identify. <laughs> that's well, that's not good that's bad well billy mm -hmm. let me ask you this in your operation how many people typically work on a single application typically teams run from three or four up to eight ten twelve twelve would be a large team for the for the kind of apps we produce yeah and when it started you were mostly writing it yourself right Writing apps yourself. Uh, yeah, that years ago, myself and, and my core team. Uh, mm. But typically, it's two, three people from our team, sometimes yeah. four, and then uh, an equal number or, or maybe a little more from the client team because, of course, they've got to take care of it after we're gone. And and when you're talking about that scale, talking about that many human testers is just Yeah, you're right. So that explains a lot. It, it's also worth mentioning that we do a lot of native client software, and while we do our unit testing on all the stateless web stuff, that's really what unit testing was created for, was for stateless code, and most of the microservices stuff is stateless code. So yeah. unit testing works really well there. It's not really the core of testing uh a native application that is very stateful. There are parts of it that you that you unit test, but the integration testing for a native app becomes a much higher profile than it does when you're testing server-based code. Okay. I, I do want to interject here because somebody's going to quote me as being on the side of all that testing, but I'm actually just poking fun at Billy. I'm, I'm on Billy's <laughs> side, I think. <laughs> you know, yes, some unit testing and integration testing and automated user acceptance testing. You have to have some level of all of those things. But um, there, yeah, there was that period. And I, I remember that because it was kind of an industry thing. It's like, oh, the standard is two developer, two testers per developer and all this other stuff. And that's just craziness. Who can afford like, like you're sitting in an office building or now we're sitting in houses, but we, did we actually have paired carpenters? <laughs> and for each carpenter, was there nice. four, four, four city inspectors that came? I don't think so, right? Like, where None do you put that nail again? Can you just look at me while I put that <laughs> nail in there? Like, nail. just to make sure I'm putting it in the right spot. <laughs> there was just a foreman who well, came I'm by and go, what are you doing? Hey, what's the matter? Smack. Well, I've actually talked with you? audiences about this at conference sessions. And I would ask an audience of 200, how many of you have a ratio of two testers per developer, two human testers per developer. And rarely would I get a single hand. I mean, that just, yeah, that just I think the answer is almost always none. Corporate America. Right? Yeah. Like, I, I think it's also the shape <laughs> of the team, right? right? Like there are people that think in a way where they will always be true 
testers to the core, right? That's how they think about a system. And then there's people who just are very full stack, but completists, right? Like they will do the unit tests themselves, build the functional tests. They can do a little bit of everything, even the SRE work, right? On a domain, if you think in a microservices, you know, setup. So, so there are folks that maybe never want to be engineers. They don't want to code. They don't want to do all the other things. And, but there's others that literally, they just rather do everything full stack, right? Um, and I don't know that you can have a one size fit all even within one organization, right? You got to use people's gifts and put them where they can do their best, right? Mm-hmm. I don't That's know. right. Um, before we continue on this conversation, which is really great, I want to give Kathleen, Tim, and Phil a chance to give us their most memorable moments of .NET Rocks history, starting with you, Kathleen Dollard. First of all, how are you? I'm great. This was really hard to think about because it's like I think back and I did a show with one of my sons, at least one. And, you did. and mm. it was, it was great. I've done some great panels. I've done some really stuff that, you know, it was really heartfelt. And I visited your studio. Uh, Carl, mm-hmm. we did it. We recorded in your studio. But I have to say that I'm going to kind of back up and explain why we were in your studio, which <laughs> is that, uh, I got after my first show, I said I would not record again unless it was in person because the first show was memorable. Shall we say it was memorable for two reasons, <laughs> both of which were um, interesting. Now, Richard can sit here and just kind of just sit back because he wasn't there. Rory was nope. there. So this oh, was yeah, a that's very right. early show. <laughs> yeah, I remember now. You know yeah. where I'm going, right? Do you oh, want yeah, me to get sure. the story? Uh, no, no. This is a great story. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> so two things happened. I'll tell you the, the last thing once is that I was incredibly naive. So this is like, it's my very first big, big interview. I'd written a book and I actually thought you and Roy would have read the book. Now, just to make sure we have this in context, <laughs> oh, it was 800 pages of XSLT. Okay. So I totally get it. <laughs> if you read that book cover to cover, please let me know. Okay. So Guilty. to start with, <laughs> I did not read it. I was it. totally floored by the fact I was having to explain things I didn't expect to. And so I was, so, but that was after we started. And the way this started was this was back when there was more jokes and there was less uh, tech. And so Rory had found a piece of information. Rory had found a piece of information, which Michelle will appreciate, that he thought was really important to share. So as I'm waiting to go on, this is the conversation that's going on, which is what animal has the longest penis? All right, yeah. It was like a duck of some kind. So John Henderson from yes. <laughs> hey, Mr. Huckabee, you calm down. And I am very, you know, I mean, I've, I've been in, I've been in the world of mostly guys, you know, my whole career, but it's still, it's right. like, I'm aware of that. And so here's this penis conversation going on. And uh, by the way, it's a duck, uh, which you wouldn't expect. Yeah. But, yeah. but anyway, that was my first, and I was like, oh, I just really, between those two things, I, so I wound up doing like my next three or four shows uh, when I was able to hook up. Uh, in person and do them in person and they were much yeah. more comfortable and I got my legs well, back we, underneath me and now I've done a few more. So anyway, but that was my... <sighs> we we learned to treat you much more like a human being after that. <laughs> you, well, it, you did, it wasn't against me. So there was no conversation with me. It was just prior to me coming on, there was a separate conversation that was... Not the one I would have chosen, which is say that. It wasn't my one, number one choice. Yeah, those were like in our, our experimental days when we were, yeah, we were, we were going for funny and, and wacky and we didn't have any sensors. Yeah. And- yeah. So hopefully we, you know, I, I like where you settled. Uh, but anyway, so that Me is too. my, that's, that's the story that is hard not to tell if you're doing, telling, if I'm telling a .NET rocks. Most well, you wouldn't be the first stories, one or so. the last one to be shocked by the uh, by the content or the question, the line of questions uh, in the Rory years. Right, Richard? Yeah. It was a little nutty back then, but <laughs> yeah, it was also the, the beginning of podcasting, right? Like that What'd was say, the Richard? early days of pod. That was the beginning of podcasting, too. It's 2004. Yeah. And right. you were just 
trying to invent a medium for the most part. But you yeah. and I had a conversation where I said, there's a Venn diagram here. Right. In one circle, there are people who want a technical conversation. And the other one, there are people who want comedy and fun and music and so forth. And the intersection between the two, very small. Very, but very small. What if we small. pulled the two apart and made uh, two shows? Yeah. And, uh, and that's I, I what will, happened. I, I will add that in terms of that Venn diagram is that um, – you, my younger son, who grew up in a difficult household. So if you can imagine two Microsoft MVPs and an older brother who is a, a computer language savant, and here you are and you're 10 years old and you don't understand two words that ever get said at the dinner table. But he absolutely loved your comedy. And now he's a programmer. And so someplace <laughs> in there, you made programming he's, okay. He's and in the so middle. I, I applaud you for that. And now he's a, he's a programmer working at a startup in, in Denver. And I'm incredibly proud of both my children who have both happened to have followed my own, my path most unexpectedly. Well, one was going to be a mathematician and one was going to be an astrophysicist, but they both code for a living. I, I so, take full yeah. responsibility for the, um, <laughs> For the uh, the direction success of, the show. of Kathleen's sons. No, yeah. no, 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 no. Yeah, great. No, not at all. Not at all. But the but from the very beginning of .NET Rocks and even before that, I was most influenced by uh, other programmers and other mentors who made learning really easy. You know, who didn't talk down to me, who didn't, um, you know, who liked to lighten the load with a joke here and there, but were absolutely more than happy to share their knowledge and, you know, and, and make you a better programmer. And they didn't shy away from explaining things that might be uh, well known by by the majority of the audience. But for the people who are just catching up, they wanted to, you know, go over the basics and reiterate things. So... So, I mean, that's, you know, that's been my sort of mantra, sort of uh, bring uh, information that's difficult into the realm of just being fun and human and all of that stuff. So, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. <laughs> all right. Tim. Yo. What's your favorite moment from .NET Rocks history? I, unlike my dear friend, Billy, I can't remember sh over all the shows I was on. I can, only, I can only remember one one time, and I think you guys remember this. Wait, t Tim, is, is it uh, too, too much Too much of this? Is that the... Yeah, it could be. It could be. So I get a call from Richard or Carl, I don't even remember, and said, hey, we got a cancellation. Can, can you do the show? And I'm like, well, I'm in Montana, and I'm on my way to go fly fishing. So if you could, if we could do it from on my cell phone from the rental car, then okay. And and Richard's like, yeah, sure. What the hell? So <laughs> it end. Oh, it's a long story, and you guys know where I'm going. But it ends with me saying, "Well, well Richard and Carl leading me into, hey, tell us a Bill Gates story." Oh my goodness! And I said, "Well, can you can you do the beep thing? Can can you do like you know, do do do? Because they're yeah. they all involve a shit ton of cutting, right?" And Carl's like. Yeah, we could do the beat thing. But little <laughs> did he know, the story ends in like 30 F words in a row. Nice. So it, it ends with, with, hey, you three assholes. I, I know I told you to stand on that fucking piece of tape over there, but now I want you to stand on this fucking piece of tape. And if you don't fucking move, you're going to fucking never work in this fucking industry again. And beep. So when the recording came out, it was one of the very few where I listened to myself. And you couldn't even hear what I was saying. It was just like, but the story was real. You were actually backstage at a tech ad or something with Bill Gates. And it you was were doing it. Yeah. It was you were doing a demo. Wow. And, cool. and, and basically the, you were standing with him and talking to him and this little producer lady yeah. came over and told you to move to this fucking line right here and you had to leave him. <laughs> yeah. Good Don't times, be talking good to times. Bill. That's a no-no. Yeah. You couldn't talk to Bill Gates and we were screwing around, kidding around with Bill Gates and, and they didn't like that. No one liked that. And the producer basically. He actually likes tech people. He likes tech conversation. Like. That's exactly what he wanted, right? Like he was enjoying himself. Oh, totally. And, and that's we against had the rules. Killer demos. We had killer demos. 
Yeah, just fantastic. And he wanted to know the, you know, really what was going on behind the scenes and such. And it was, you know, I didn't think any of it at the time I was so young. <laughs> I didn't think it was a big deal at all. It was so contrived and rehearsed and there was no nervousness or anything like that, even though there's, you know, 15,000 people in the audience and a gazillion watching live, you know, on, on TV all over the world. Mm. Um, it was just, I felt so bad for him after that, that his life was, you know, so protected and so sterile. Well, he, this, the part of the story that hit me was his his reaction when they took you guys away from him, right? That, that he yeah, was so there's, just- there's the story. It's me and two other guys uh, who have the, the demos. And then Gates beeline, I get, I get eye contact with him. He beelines straight for me and he says, hey guys, you nervous? And I'm like, nervous? Like, Bill, we've been fucking rehearsing this for a fucking week, you know? And he laughed and he said, this is, this is what, this is what I'm not supposed to say, which I said on the show as I'm driving south to Yellowstone National Park. Uh, Gates said something to the effect, I'm very close, um, to quoting him. It's like, yeah, if I have to do the digital fucking decade fucking speech one more fucking time, I'm gonna fucking quit this job. And we just, we just were dying laughing. And, uh, and that's what pissed off all the, the producer people and get, you know, Gates' is handler and all the sycophant VPs that are around is right. they want to focus on the digital decade speech. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. It moves Good the times. share price. You, you know, know what, uh, Tim? I remember doing a two minute one piece of a PDC like keynote with Shuchuk. And I yeah. have never had to practice more for two fucking minutes than yeah. any other presentation <laughs> to this day I've ever done. Like it was like literally like a week of prep and then like maybe two or three separate days of two to three hour like meetings. And then everybody had to go through their thing and you had your two minutes. Like, so imagine you're doing like this whole thing. Totally contrived. How many times they made you yeah. practice, right? Like over and over and over and over again. They want to know everything you're going to say, like every single thing you're going to say and everything you're going to do. Within a three right? second time. So I had three minutes and 47 seconds for my demo. And I had three seconds either way. But um, what's super interesting is back then uh, you had someone shadowing your demo. So someone was backstage on a separate computer clicking as I'm clicking just in case shit went down and they just they would just switch to your backup and you would just be pretending and talking that, that's the that is the xp green blue screen reason right, right? right. like when the, when the xp that. blue screen yeah. on gates after yeah. there's been shadow ever since they still do it Crazy. by the way when dev intersection hosted the connect keynote there were 37 demos in the connect keynote and that meant there were 37 people on 37 pcs in the backstage area, each one dedicated to one of the demos, and they would shadow as the demo was done. And if anything went wrong, there was somebody monitoring to flip at that moment. And then when they, and you could see, I was sitting backstage while this was going on. As each demo's done, that person gets up and walks out, Who, right? Who's now they're good. Who was that, Richard? They passed that thing. Are you allowed? That was the Connect keynote when we. Yeah, the Who? We hosted it. Well, it was Guthrie. It, Guthrie was the overall runner of the keynote, right? But. But it was one of those, it was connect. So it was like three hours. Right. Well, I mean, it was just, it was a we've beast. all bombed a demo on stage, right? <laughs> I, I've bombed yeah. so I had <laughs> remember, remember that nice guy, Sanofsky? I had him breathing down my neck one time when I bombed a demo. Oh, God, it was awful. Awful. Yeah. That could be a whole show. Yeah. Demos you bombed. That's a whole show. Um, well, Huck's got the best, you know, the the fake bottle of vodka, and he's going to show some alpha bits, and if it crashes, I'm down in this bottle. And sure enough, Filled it crashes, water. and boom, comes the top, and he starts slugging down this. Who would do that? Who Nobody would does do that, that, Carl? Tim and I did that together in Poland, where we he got right. a bottle of Jack Daniels filled with iced tea, and I got a bottle of vodka filled with water, and we just because we thought we would shock them, right? Just then we just started going dum 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 dum, and they're looking at it's us Poland. like Poland. No, they were like yeah, whatever, yeah. 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 
Can I have we, some? We, whatever. They call that lunchtime. <laughs> yeah, that's lunch for us. Yeah. <laughs> well, that brings us to the last person who's been miraculously silent this whole time. And I'm sorry about that. Mr. Phil Hack, how are you, sir? I'm good. Um, let's see. My most memorable moment, I believe it was uh, one of your .NET uh, road shows where you were in a big-ass RV traveling across the country. And if I recall, you flew me down yes. to L.A. for the um, as to be the special guest in L.A. where I had used to live. And uh, But I remember prior to the show, we went to, I think this is the same trip, we went to SpaceX. Uh, because, uh, they love Richard and they, we learned that they were a .NET shop along with, you know, all the other stuff they do. Um, got, so I got the to tour SpaceX and then, uh, later when right. we. Right. That's we when I freaked that engineer out. I was asking too hard a questions and he sort of looks at me and goes, who is it you work for exactly? <laughs> <laughs> Brian, we got to see their titanium uh, uh, 3D printer. That thing was really cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The laser that centering was, machine. That was episode 831, which we eventually titled, rather, I titled, A Very Hacky Christmas, because we published it on December 25th. I remember yes. holding up a piece of machined metal that looked like solid yeah. metal, and then you could see it had a honeycomb structure. It was yeah. That very was that piece of titanium. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was. And it's the only way they could make that was with the laser centering machine. It was amazing. Yeah, there's no way to make it otherwise. Yeah, I felt very lucky to be able to tag along. Wasn't it the same show that Billy was on? We we were flying people in. It was our 2010 uh, .NET Rocks that, road trip. The one where we did SpaceX was the 2012 tour. But yeah, it was the 2010 okay. tour where, where Billy in San Diego. Yeah, so that okay. was always the thing, right? It was yeah, this is a later one. That people didn't ordinarily see. Yeah. Right? That was the fun part. And and we had the budget for it. So right. it's like we can afford to fly you down and, and have some fun together and, and then uh and and normally you're doing a user group and it's like, hey, we brought Billy Hollis, right? Yeah. Or we brought Phil Hack. Or I mean yeah. there's nobody on this panel that hasn't done a road trip stop with us. Yep. That's yeah, right. and I remember well, being that, oh, over yeah. the past it's been years. I but I would say Lewis, okay? And it was yeah. good. The arch is good, but it's not SpaceX. I'm just saying. Mm. <laughs> yeah, we don't always get the same tour. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of with Kathleen. I, I, I think you guys need to do another one and <sighs> it make sure some of us get to go to these cool places. That's all right. Yeah, we'll do the all pandemic Maybe we, tour. We can fly. Oh, no, we can't right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. true. Good point. <laughs> I'm not even done with the story. Yeah. <laughs> No, so, no, there's more to the story, Phil. Yeah. Go. So I, I remember, so I'm always nervous before any speaking engagement. We're, this is one where we were going to be live in front of an audience. And so, um, I got to ride in your big ass RV to the, to the spot from the hotel. And, uh, you were like, Hey, you know, we just uh, drove through Kentucky and we have a, some Kentucky bourbon. I, I don't know how many bottles you had there, yeah, but there were a lot. <laughs> we went shopping. <laughs> 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 so i had a little bit of that just yeah. a little bit and uh, i don't even remember what we talked about i mean probably asp.nbc or some something like that but uh, that was quite fun so uh, well so the it wasn't just that we had some bourbon it was that if i remember you were shy town after a couple. <laughs> and then you went on stage. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't recall that at all. Actually, the, the, one, the one time, no, the one time I that remember. I do, speaking of bombing demos, the one time I do remember uh, getting a little uh, overindulgent, and not so much overindulgent, just uh, we were in London for, uh, I think it was NBC London, and uh, you had some amazing scotch in the back, and I was jet lagged, and then I wanted to try some of your scotch right before my talk to kind of calm me down. I've, I've, I've since learned this oh, is a God. mistake, and I don't do this anymore, but uh, the combination of jet lag and having the whiskey, and the fact that I had not reset my demos uh, properly, I think I had an error in my script that resets the demos, left my demos in a mixed beginning-middle state, so Every demo fail. <laughs> so I was just like oh, hand waving, talking out of my ass. I was like, probably, yeah, I was talking about a, 
uh, GitHub stuff. And uh, yeah, that was probably the worst talk I've ever given. Uh, every demo failed. Um, but I was glad to be done and the whiskey was and you really good. It. And it wasn't just any whiskey. It was Aberlore Abuna, which Richard is drinking right now, which is cask strength, which means it'll poke your eye out, man. You got to be yeah, careful with that stuff. Double. <laughs> yeah. Everything's a double. I thought your favorite was Pappy. We do like Pappy. Yeah, it, okay. it is. And it's also a different thing. Expensive. Yeah. Kathleen? I was just going to say, if you decide to do a show that is people videotaping the worst thing that happened to them on stage, I might win. So, uh, mm. y- you know, we can, you, you can decide if, if, uh, if we want to go there. But, uh, yeah, um, it's, yeah. Well, there's only one of us on this channel that's broken her hip. So, uh, in a fall, on while on Teams, head. as I recall, on on a call that you're muted on. I was on Teams. On. I was not on. <laughs> I was I was on Teams. Unfortunately, both my camera and my mic were off, so that did not help yeah. me get help. Because for those of you that don't know, <laughs> when I broke my hip, I was not able to uh, do very much, and I had actually Oddly managed enough. to scooch across the floor to where I was going to be able to yank my laptop by its cable off of. Hopefully, the magnet wouldn't come off. Off of the desk, I'd lowered the desk as far as it would go. And about then, my landlord, uh, who had happily heard me fall, um, actually came over. And so then I was able to get help. But it was, uh, it was a stressful few moments, not knowing how I was going to get help and actually being unable to scream. I couldn't scream. Yeah. Really? That's really interesting. I couldn't scream. Yeah. We, you wanted that button that's like I fall in and I can't get up. You know the button. Yeah, yeah. that's like, where you were. <laughs> I got My the kids button. are threatening me. I'm not have it. Yeah, yeah. But they uh-huh. are. They want me to have a watch or something. But yeah, no. I was trying to decide whether I was going to try to get onto. Uh, Gmail and get my kids because I didn't have my phone. I didn't know where it was. Or whether I was actually going to break into the meeting and say, I don't know if I need 911, but maybe I do. And I don't know how you respond to that in the middle of a business meeting at Microsoft. But, you know, and I'm still traumatized by that meeting. I don't want to go to that meeting. (laughs) It's like, it's like like the cat jumping into the frame, only it's a broken hip. Yeah, it's just like, Uh. yeah, by the way, I'm going to need some help here. You know? Yeah. It turned out I did need 911. Welcome to eight old developers try to talk. Nice. That, that, is, that is from 1691, which, by the way, of all the shows you've done, Kathleen, like, uh-huh. you stepped into the breach on that show about the state of VB.net. Like, at the end of that show, I, I just sort of said, like, I, I privately said to myself, it's like, Kathleen took one for the team there hmm. to, ha- to just have the conversation about what's happening with VB.net. Uh, it took a lot of flack. VB is important, and I, I yeah. do believe in it, and I'll take the flag mm-hmm. for that. Um, for the people that don't know, I'm a language designer now. It's part of what I do, and I work on C-sharp, and I work on VB. I don't work on F-sharp because uh, it doesn't need me, and so that's good. And I work on the CLI from a language perspective, and because of that, I'm very sorry for a lot of things, but we'll work on them. So uh, <laughs> that's the, you know, I'm interested in in languages, and VB yeah. is a beautiful language that is very good for people. So yeah, so I'll take a little heat for that. I love it. Yeah. Well, I have a theory about that, actually. Okay. Uh, Billy? That I think that different types of people respond to different kind of languages because whether they're spatial or more verbal, and VB appeals to people, I think, that are a little bit more verbal, that that, that read very quickly and, and the words matter to them, and C-sharp is more spatial, that you're putting the blocks of code with the with the, 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 uh, the braces to, to, and, and because I talked to C Sharp developers about this back when I was purely in VB, and they really do see sort of things spatially in blocks, whereas for me, I'm interpreting things uh, using the end this and end that, which I find to be quite a, makes more sense to me. Now, if I'm right about that, you think about one of the implications of this, which is that, that going almost entirely to C family languages means that we are blocking a certain section of potential developers out that they will not resonate with the languages that we give them. And I don't think that's a healthy thing. You know what? I agree with that. And I started with VB3. Um, and I remember that that was certainly much more attainable than C++, which somebody tried to throw in my face before that. And I was like, whoa, where do I begin? Like, what, what's a pointer? What's a null? You know, like, it was impossible. So 
The thing though is that was a, up to VB6, the whole environment of how you code was easier. And then when you move to now .NET, it's a lot like C Sharp. Like everything's the same, right? The MVC controllers is just the language is different. You know, the way you lay out a project, the startup, the host, the, the API setup, the, you know what I mean? It's, it's now literally almost identical. So that chasm you're talking about, Billy, is still there. Now it's just the language might feel familiar, but you still have to learn all those other things. Whereas we had a whole framework that was easier. And then take it back a step even before that. People like my dad that loved to do access. Mm-hmm. Access had an audience. Access is a good thing for forms and people that that's all they need. And it went away. So that sort of a, a whole nother layer of simplicity that kind of went away when, when that was no longer maintained, I guess, right? So mm-hmm. I feel like we've still lost something even with VB in its current state in that. I, I have a comment that I, I have to inject this comment before we continue on. Michelle, not only did you play around with C++, you excelled at it. Like people don't necessarily know this about Michelle, but before, you know, yeah. she was on .NET Rocks and stuff, she was writing books in C++. She's... One of these brilliant people that, and this is why we love her so much. Do I owe you anything for that? Thank you. Five bucks. <laughs> a rose, perhaps, maybe? But you want a rose? never talk yeah. about it, but people don't know, because so people don't know. Yeah. But what I did is C++ in the VB shell first. I started with VB, and then I had to make it do BitBlit. And, yeah. you know, I needed to go to <laughs> Win32 libraries to make it do BitBlit. And then mm-hmm. I met you. When I was right. writing that animation book, and we actually met at a conference at a VBits, right? Yep. He made me want to speak at conferences because he was so fun. And I remember thinking, oh, that guy's cool. And then I was sitting in a bar, big surprise, you know, writing my book at a bar in a conference. And um, <laughs> As you do. these guys come up and say, hey, what's your name? And I said, hey, I'm Michelle. And what are you doing? I'm writing a book. Really? I write books. And then we start talking. So that was really fun because your friends were from Toronto, which yep. is probably how we ended up getting to know each other because I was just fresh out of Toronto at mm-hmm. the time, like pretty fresh, right? Yeah. So that was like 1994, I think. Yeah, yeah and that's when I was doing a demo. I was the first person to use Visual Basic and Internet together in the same sentence in print. And so I was doing a talk on uh, using the Internet in uh, Visual Basic and I was pulling a data from like a GOES satellite. It updated every It was 10 like a weather. It was a weather radar. Weather. And you based on the yeah. query. There wasn't that much on the internet then, right? Yeah. I mean, it was Gopher. It was before right. uh, HTTP. HTTP might have been in its early infancy. But um, mm-hmm. anyway, so, so I pulled this image up and I showed people how to use it. And just for fun, I set it to my desktop and it was in san francisco i'll never forget this and it showed this enormous storm coming <laughs> towards california san it was the size of california and it was headed right to san francisco and and i showed the picture and i said and this is live like this was just five seconds ago boom and everybody goes Ooh! and i go i know isn't that amazing it's so cool I know, I know. And, and of course, there was like people are running out of the talk, yeah. like, oh my God. And it, it turned out that the power went out and it was bad. Before you hit the button, the thing that I remember, and this is what made me think, wow, that guy's really funny, is he goes, so I'm going to do this demo and it's going to work. <laughs> <laughs> and then he pauses and he's waiting <laughs> and then it worked and then everybody ran out yeah, because at, at the time I was used to writing code for like com port communication which was terrible absolutely terrible and now you're seven layers higher just making requests and guaranteed to get responses it's like brilliant you know and so that's why i was so happy when i discovered sockets and tcp because i had been doing like comport programming which sucked you want to talk about errors problems 
Billy, you're nodding, nodding your head. All you guys are nodding your heads. When, when you're going to do a presentation on unstable code like that, how do you tell the audience this is might fail? Right. Right. I, I think that's what Michelle's actually talking about is the way you dealt with the fact <laughs> this is probably going to blow up in my face was that sort of optimistic statement of this is going to work. It's going to work. And then you just, yeah, and then you just <laughs> hold it there. And if it works, you're amazing. And if he doesn't, it's funny. That at some kind of serial programming back in the eighties on, on, um, character base basic at the time. And yeah, trying to demo or show any, when you basically what you've got is a message pump that you've got, you've got to have an entire asynchronous architecture just to capture everything. And now you can't predict exactly what's going to happen and you can't explain it to the people who at that time had never heard of any such thing. Yeah. You thing. don't know why it's hard. Uh, this show's turning into the dinosaur rocks. <laughs> Right. I was going to say, there's one thing about men. When we're looking at folks that have been on for a long time, we've all been, we've all seen some stuff, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. But we should talk about Blazer because Blazer is going to transform the world. I totally agree, Rocky. I'm there with you, man. (laughs) Hey, wait, show of hands. Who has coded Blazer already? Who's on this show right now? A little bit. Well, it would be me and Carl and Richard and Billy. And t- Tim's—I don't think Tim had his hand up. He's leaning—he's leaning on his uh, chin there, so I don't think that counts. Tim has fished in the Blazer River. I—I I started programming on non-graphical interfaces. Uh, my my C was IBM Assembler. It, that when we when I got to Win thirty two, it was like, oh my god, this is horrible. Who would do this? <laughs> <laughs> but blazer solves all that yeah blazer solves everything fixes all the problems it does well now there's a blazer a native container host in uh kubernetes that hosts WebAssembly. it's not Great. blazer exactly but it hosts WebAssembly um using uh some other technologies so it's a non-ui expression of uh that common assembly language so I mean, it's true, right? Tim can go write his uh, ancient C, C++ assembly code and run it somewhere. And then Billy can go create the most beautiful UI. And and it's all going to run in uh, WebAssembly with .NET. It's awesome. Well, I think this is a, a good precedent to set for our Patreon account, which is at patreon.netrocks.com. We are streaming this live only to patrons. And we're going to continue to do that with other shows in the future. Not every show because some people like their privacy and some people don't look good at the time that we call them in the time of day, right? Some people are like, oh, it's five o'clock in the morning. Are you referring to Phil Hack in particular? No, no, no. I don't think we dropped enough F-bombs for the Patreon, though. (laughs) Clearly. (laughs) I I think I tried to contribute there, Phil. (laughs) Just just bleep every word I say. Oh, Tim did. Fuck yeah. I have one more memory to share, and that is with Mr. Hollis. He basically contracted me to help him create, and this was back before people knew how to do all this stuff, to create uh, some DVDs. Remember those? DVDs. Yes, the Silverlight DVDs. The Silverlight Video How-To DVD, which had videos and it also had code on it. And he came to New London, and... Uh, I don't know, a few months before he came, I thought it would be cool to get a real ficus tree or two and put them in the studio, you know, next to, you know, because it kind of livened things up. And along with ficus trees come fruit flies. So, we, I had since moved the trees out because that was a nuisance, but the fruit flies remained. And so, Billy was doing his vo- voiceover and recording and screenshot. And all of a sudden, I hear, <gasps> <laughs> he's gagging. I'm like, Billy, he's what's the matter? He goes, a I on a f-ing fruit fly, man. That's <laughs> <laughs> all the fruit fly. <laughs> Wait, did he say fuck? Oh yeah, he was living. I, I have been known to use salty language. I just don't do it very often. No, not very In often. Fact, but I, with that I, accent, I, I keep, that's I, the best fruit fly ever. That, that accent, yeah. 
I'm really grateful to have met all of you and to be able to interact and interview all of you and be human together, not just in a code way. I mean, that's all good and great, but uh, it's also just fun to hang out. So thank you all for being with me. Michelle Bustamante, Rocky Lotka, Billy Hollis, Kathleen Dollard, Tim Huckabee, Phil Hack, of course, my buddy Richard Campbell. We've done 1,700 shows. We've done 1,600 of them together. Oh, my God. Where did the time go? Thank you all. Mm-hmm. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.